We're in Daniel chapter 3, 19 through 30. If you would stand for reading of God's word, we honor God by standing when we read his word. The Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace was exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire. and They are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar was near the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and kings, counselors gathered together. They saw these men on whose bodies their fire had no power, the hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of the fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their god, their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other god who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Now, we have, I haven't been here in a couple weeks, so I'll just bring you up to speed. Remember, in 605 B.C., Babylon came and conquered Israel and shipped all these prized young people to Babylon, to Babylonize them, to indoctrinate them into the culture. And they changed their name, they changed their diet, they changed everything that they did. Everything that they read had to do with Babylon. But three of them stood out. Three plus, well, four of them stood out. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They would, not, they would not bow to the indoctrination. They stayed solidly con connected to the God of Israel. And they ended up becoming more and more uh, needed and more and more stood out within the culture. And they even stood out in chapter 1 as head and shoulders above all the magicians, the astrologers, and all the people in the realm that Babylon had to offer of, of, of counselors to Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 2, we see Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And the dream is, 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 of course, the statue. Remember, we saw the, the idol, the head of gold, the chest and so, shoulders of silver, and the, and, and the, the bronze, and the, and the legs of iron. And we know that these, these symbolized nations and kingdoms that would rise up. First, first of all came Babylon, followed by Persia, then Greece, then Rome. And then the ten toes of iron and clay, or the ten-nation confederation, that's right on the horizon, is soon to be established. The whole world is being set up now. For, for a one-world government and a one-world order and a one-world ruler to come in. It's being set up for the Antichrist. And we are, we are seeing this picture. In Daniel, this has all been predicted. All has come to fruition, just as Daniel said it would happen. And people today have a real hard time with that. 
saying that Daniel was written at a much later date. No, it wasn't. This is prophecy being fulfilled that demonstrates that our God is the true God. There is no God like our God. And then uh, several years later, in chapter 3, calendar goes forward, and some people say 10, 20, 30 years may have elapsed. And Nebuchadnezzar decides he's going to make this gold image of himself. And he wants to be worshipped, and he wants none of these other kings in his mind, he's making it all gold. There's not going to be any chest of silver. There's not going to be any, 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 any bronze. There's not going to be any legs of iron. Oh, no, he's going to be the whole statue for the whole time. And is he going to be, is he going to be proven wrong? And he has this thing built, and everyone, when the most instruments start to play, you have to bow to worship that idol. And if you don't, you're thrown into the fiery furnace. And everyone bows except for three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, that brings us up to speed where we are right now. So, the theme of Daniel is this. God is sovereign over nations, over rulers, and over you. Okay? You think you're here by accident? You're not. God is sovereign. He, can, he orchestrates everything that happens around us. Now, the last time we talked, the title was, We Will Not Bow. And we will not bow to the idols like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow. We will not bow to the idols of our culture, to the pressures within our culture. They, they, they were going to bow or die, and they stood tall. They would not conform. And just remember the statue of, the, of this image, and it must have been an impressive image. I mean, this thing is 90 feet high. And remember, on the plains of Dura, they have found a platform about the size commensurate with something that would support an idol. Interesting archaeological discovery. But the thing I wanted you to notice here is that the three guys standing and the one guy pleading, please sit down, please go down, please compromise your faith. This was what the Boko Haram young lady had to go through. Everybody's bowing, tugging on her, but she would not bow, and neither would these three. Now, indelibly imprint that in our minds, because we want to be the ones that stand in the face of the, of the immense pressure that we feel in this culture to compromise. These folks didn't do it. Folks, we don't have to do it either. So the question is this. Will you cave to the idols of the world? And again, this remains to be seen. This was in my last talk. This remains to be seen. We all say, no, I won't be the one that caves. This remains to be seen. This remains to be played out. The majority do. And that is even in the church the majority do. So, that, so just, just think about this. A must to not bow. We went through this last time. To resist indoctrination, we must, a must, 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 prepare in advance. Prepare in advance. Daniel determined in his heart that he would not partake of the king's delicacies. He was prepared in advance that he wasn't going to do it. That is a lesson for us today. Prepare in advance. And the only way to prepare in advance, in order way to do this, we said, is we must be abiding in Christ. He's our power source. We can't just say we're going to do this on our own. We have to have his power make our home, menno, dwell in him. We get our power from him. And again, there are a few in Christianity who will stand. The majority will not. Just like in Babylon, the majority don't. We will stand. We will not bow. Now, our three heroes had their tests, and they passed their tests in flying colors. And if you remember these incredible words in Daniel 3.18, but if not Nebuchadnezzar, 
If not, Nebuchadnezzar, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. We will not bow. We will not bow. That was their words then, that is us now. So let it be known to you, world, that we live in today, that there's all kinds of tests that are going to come. Remember James chapter 1, verse 2, that all this testing, they came in various shapes and sizes. Remember the word was pokleos, like polka dots, different shapes and sizes. And they're coming at us constantly. We have the idols of this world coming at us constantly. We have this, this, this tension between the church and true Christians and the culture that wants us to bow, to capitulate, to coexist. Remember the bumper sticker? Hey, we want to be loving to people, but we cannot embrace lifestyles that are counter to the word of God. We cannot do it. We cannot bow. We must not bow. Now, remember, we had examples last week of non-bowers, and we took Polycarp as an example. At 86 years of age, Polycarp, if you just worship Caesar and say, Caesar is greater than Jesus, Caesar is greater than God, then you can live. And he said, 86 years I have served my Lord, and I will not bow. And they burned him at the stake. God gave him the strength at the time. That was the point of that. God will give you the strength at the time to stand. Then we took Corrie ten Boom. And when she was a young girl in Poland, and, and Germans were coming, and the Germans were taking over, and they're expanding. And she was afraid that she would not be able to stand. And her father gave the wonderful example of buying a ticket. When do you get the ticket? At the time. God will give you the strength at the time. And Corrie ten Boom in a Nazi concentration camp had the courage at the time to stand. And then we saw the apostles, each one of them dying brutal deaths. We see people in the early church who did not bow, even when they were taken into Nero's circus. Remember that? When they're used as, 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 as toys for the, for the audience, the Colosseum was filled to watch the Christians be killed. They would not bow. And today we must not bow. The early church did not bow. And the question is, will we? God will give you the strength at the time if you are abiding in Christ. If you are a toe-in Christian, if you got your little toe in Christianity just to get in safe, think you're going to get in safe into heaven, that's not going to be the power that's going to allow you to stand. We need the Holy Spirit, rod of iron, up our spine to allow us to stand. That was Donald Barnhouse's statement, remember? The Holy Spirit, rod of iron, up our spine. That's what we need. It's not toe-in, it's all-in. And remember, it's God's strength in you which allows you to stand and allows us to overcome any pressure to worship an idol. It allows us to stand, uh, withstand any temptation, any obstacle. We need to hold on to Jesus because he's going to hold on to you. Who lets go, Jesus or you? It is always us. I mean, God's got a grasp on us, and we just slide it out. No, he's holding on. He's holding on. Hold on to him. It's God's strength in you. To overcome any idol and any temptation, we stay connected to our Lord. Our three heroes have stood the, 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 the test of, of their faith. They kept their eyes on their God. And verse 19, we see the result of this. The fury of Nebuchadnezzar is just enraged. He is enraged. He has a fit of rage. And our three heroes are going to be bound and tossed into the fiery furnace. God is going to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention in a unique way. God will get your attention in life. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've allowed us to study the Word of God, the inerrant, true, infallible Word of God. And Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts today. Open our spiritual eyes. Soften our hearts. Allow us to hear from you today truths that you want us to hear. And as always, 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 we're not just hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this is a little bit of an introduction. God will get your attention. Over the course of your life, he will do that. And I imagine you've felt that in your life. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, he has gotten your attention. He's gotten your attention. He does this in several different ways. He reveals himself over and over. He does it in creation. Look around. Look around as a painting has to have a painter. A creation has to have a creator. <laughs> yes, yes. It just doesn't, just doesn't pop into existence, especially the complexity of this thing. Psalm 19.1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament his handiwork. The, the firmament is the expanse of heaven, his handiwork. Oh, there is a creator. The creation gives witness to who God is. But we also have the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is, convicts everyone in this world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We have the witness of the Holy Spirit. And then we have Father, the Father. Oh, Godhead is involved in this thing. John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him, draws him. And I don't know if you remember that word draw. Well, it was a long time ago when we went through it. But the word is helkuo, and it means some, a, a divine pulling. It can mean with some force, but the word suro in Greek is force. I'm going to hook you. I'm going to bring you in by force. But the word helkuo is a little bit gentler. And it's more of a convincing, more of a convicting, more of a drawing. And we see Jesus is going to be involved in this thing. And he, he says, if I, in John 12, 32, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. That's the word halkuo. Idols of the world, what do they want? They want you. And they are suro. They're pulling you, tugging you, dragging you in. And by the way, our culture has bought into this and wants you too. But watch Jesus. Watch Jesus, his posture. His drawing is an inner drawing. Isn't that just so much more peaceful? Isn't it just so much more gentle? Jesus is always gentle, and he's drawing. If it's the word halkuo, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. What a wonderful picture of our Lord compared to the culture, the idols, the, the, the little gods of the culture that want to sway us. God is always about getting our attention. Henry Blackleby wrote a book, The Experiencing God. And what Nebuchadnezzar is learning, and what I learned from Henry Blackleby, and what we must learn is this. God is always, always, always at work around you. There's never a lapse of time. And then secondly, God is pursuing a love relationship with us that is real. He says, I want you. And God invites you to become involved in his work, and he speaks to us through the Bible, prayer, circumstances in the church. And God's invitation always results in something, a crisis of belief. Will I follow him, or will I stay in my old world? There's going to have to be a crisis of belief, and you, I think you've probably experienced that. And if you say, I will follow Jesus, you're going to have to make major adjustments in your life to change. You're going to have to make major adjustments to join God where he's at work. 
The scripture calls us leaving the old life and experiencing the new life. What did the apostles do? Most of them were fishermen. And then they followed Jesus. That's what the apostles did. What about Nehemiah? He was a cupbearer. Then he went and re rebuilt the wall in Jerusalem. He went, he moved, he joined God where God was at work. What about Moses? Moses was an Egyptian elite until age 40, and then he was a shepherd for another 40 years. And then he had to move from his shepherding where he was comfortable to where God called him to release a nation, to save a nation. God used him. You can come to know God by experience as you obey him. Nebuchadnezzar is simply having another experience with God. And I would suggest to you that God does this over and over and over in people's lives. And the fiery furnace is on smelt. Now, I worked at a place in Ecorse, Michigan, when I was going to school, and it was called Zug Island. And there they made steel. And they had smelting furnaces. And I'm telling you, those things were hot, melting, melting furnaces. This is how this thing was cooked up, heated up. Our three lads are at peace, even with the threat of the smelting furnace. And when I saw those furnaces there, I worked in the medical department, but I, I, I had to go out in there from time to time to pick guys up. But anyway, it, the smell, the stench, the heat of those furnaces was enormous. These people experienced the smell, the heat, the tension of being burned alive. And our three lads are going to do something rather unique. When the heat is turned up in your life, remember this. This is a great quote. I don't know who said this, but someone did. This is, I'm copying it from somebody. The essence of faith is the willingness to serve God without a guarantee. Isn't that something? Without a guarantee. These lads had no guarantee that they weren't going to be incinerated in this furnace, but yet they went in. Let's pick up our lesson today in chapter, chapter 3, verse 19 through 23. God will get your attention. Sometimes, folks, God turns up the heat in your life to get your attention. The Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Could you imagine in his hubris and his arrogance, no one is going to thwart me. They all will bow, and these guys didn't. And did that tick him off? He spoke and commanded to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they cast him into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats and their trousers, their turbans and their garments, and were cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, it was harsh, and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed these, those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Folks, hear this. Prior to this edict that went out, life for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was nice and smooth. Everything was cool. They had made it through their training. They had been assimilated into the culture and still worshiped their God, and everything was nice. Life can change so quickly. All's calm on the Western Front until the bombs start coming. Until the bombs start. The heat was turned up on these three lads big time, and they did not have a clue how it would work, work out. We do, they didn't. 
the most powerful man on earth in full fury is going to kill them and throw them bound into this fiery furnace. And this he acts so foolishly, this king, that it costs him prime men. His prime men of valor who threw these guys in the fire, they are killed. All because of this king's fit of rage, his, his hissy fit that he's having. Nebuchadnezzar has, all out of, has an all-out-of-control anger. And just a side note about anger, because I think that's something that we deal with. Out-of-control anger can have long-term devastating consequences. For this, the mighty men died, okay? But Proverbs 16.32 says this, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. He who rules his spirit. You know what that is? That's self-control. Self-control is the seventh of the fruit of the spirit. Self-control is, is the spirit of God being connected to God allows us to control our lives. It can have, have some modicum of how we respond in the culture. This guy's out of control. James 1, 19, 20 says this, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because a man's anger does not bring about the godly life that God desires. Slow to become angry, slow to heat up. That is a characteristic of a Christian abiding in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, slow to anger. Whenever you see yourself triggered by something and you have this flash of anger, that is you losing self-control for that moment. You are not walking in the Spirit at that moment. Take a pause. Take a pause. I mean, this happens to me from time to time, and I'm going, whoa, who was that guy? Where did he come from? And put him back in the box, because I don't like him. Yes. The heat can be turned up by man, folks. Many, many things, but man can, mankind can turn up the heat. And all followers of Christ Jesus will have some sort of heat put on them particularly as the culture gets more depraved. You look out through the world, Christians are, are tortured all over the place. More so in this time frame than any time in history. And that's a lot of bad stuff going on in history. But it's worse now. There's more martyrs today. The fire of persecution be turned up by men. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Philippians 1.29 it's been granted unto you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. See, everybody wants a cakewalk. Look at one of the things that the missionary said to us, Dr. Murray, actually he was the main speaker, is that you as a Christian, you've been bought with a price. We owe our, everything that we are to God. And he made this statement, you must be prepared to die for God. And all missionaries that go are prepared. They have to be prepared to die for God. You are living in a culture where you are a missionary. And you might have to die to your friends. You might have to die to your family. You're all out for Jesus. They're going to look at you as crazy. Crazy guy. That's my crazy uncle. Boy, he's, he's all about Jesus. You know? Yeah. Get ready for it. And then when persecuted, when persecuted by mankind, the key word is trust. Trust God. No matter what happens around you, trust God. Nebuchadnezzar is still in darkness. He cannot stand the kingdom of light, not bowing him. Trust God. And never forget God's promise that he will be with you through the trial. I don't know if you remember in Isaiah 43, I'll be with you through the waters. 
I will be with you through the fires. Everything that happens to you, I will be with you. Is Jesus enough in any situation? The answer to that question is yes. Okay, let's do it again. Is Jesus enough in any situation? The answer is yes. All right, that's better. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. God's promise that he'll be with us through every trial, regardless of the outcome. God is with us. The three lads, the three lads were delivered. Now look at these guys were delivered. But there are times when people, in the vast majority of times, when people are not delivered. Look at Stephen. Stephen, God was with Stephen. He was spirit-filled, but yet he was martyred. He trusted God. In both circumstances, God was with them in a special way. Both of them in a special way. You can trust this to be so in your life. God will be with you. Regardless of the outcome, God's promise to you is very clear in Scripture. In Hebrews 13.5, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That never, remember in the Greek, is five times emphasized. I will never, 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 never leave you nor forsake you. That is a tremendous promise to you. In verse 6, it says, If the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. For what can man do to me? What can Nebuchadnezzar do to me? What can Nero do to me? What can Hitler do to me in that prison camp? What can, if I die, I'm with Christ. I'm with Christ. The heat can be turned up by man, but know this. The heat can be turned up by Satan also. Fiery darts of the wicked one. Your protection is the shield of faith. The shield of faith, that small shield. It wasn't the big Roman shield. It was the small shield that you turn to the right, turn to the left. You can get the fiery darts of the enemy. And remember what his tactics are, what he wants to do with you. He wants to tempt you to act counter to who you are as a Christian. That's, what, that's the number one thing. And then discouragement, feeling inadequate. I'm not worth anything. That's all from the, that's all from the demonic realm, folks. That's all from the demonic realm. When the darts fly, the key words are this, submit and resist. Remember James 4, 7, submit yourself to God, resist the devil and he will flee, come near to God and he will come near to you. That is how you fight this enemy. Submit to God first and then resist the devil and he will flee. And then finally, the third thing, we have man attack on us. We have Satan's attack on us. But fiery trials can be prepared by God. And we go, what? I mean, what are you talking about, Rick? I mean, I can't believe that. Really? Really. James 1, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 say this, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That's again, that's those polka dots. Knowing that the testing of your faith Knowing that the testing of your faith, who's testing our faith? God is testing our faith. Produces what? Patience. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. What is God's purpose for you in the trial? For you to come through it trusting him and to be more and more like Jesus. Mature in your faith. Not crumbling every time something happens. That is the purpose. That is the purpose. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5 says something similar. I won't go there because of time. The key word for this is maturity. The goal of our lives is to grow up. It's not to be hilariously happy. It's not to be all giddy with life, although he has promised us his joy. But it is to grow up and be conformed to the likeness of Christ. Romans 8, 29. 
So one day you like Paul. Now remember, Paul went through everything that you can possibly think of. Multiple jails, shipwrecked, stoned. He was, he was absolutely despised by so many people. And he comes through this thing with these words in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. And hopefully you can be this person at some point. None of these things move me. Nor did I consider my life dear to myself, that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. None of these things move me. None of these things got me off course. It doesn't matter what happens. I am connected to my God. And what did he say in Timothy? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's what we want that legacy. We want that legacy. God always is at work around you. Sometimes he turns up the heat. Verse 24 and 25, but get this. God will get your attention, and there's miracles. And I want to assure you of something. God still does miracles today. You know how I know that? Because you are born again of the Spirit. And anybody that has been born again has been taken from death into life, and it's the greatest miracle that can happen to a human being. I want my toe to be healed. That's a good miracle. Back's a little hurt. That's a good miracle. Want something, you know, something that work. I want all the function. That's a good miracle. But I'm telling you, that's all temporary. Being taken from the kingdom of darkness and placed in the kingdom of light, that is the greatest miracle of all. That's what our God does. Verse 24 and 25, he's going to save these guys. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. Isn't that great? That God has got his attention. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Oh, my goodness, what is going on here, guys? Did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? I want you to think about something. Before we came to know Jesus Christ, we were bound. We were bound and tied up. We were not free. We were not free. They answered and said to the king, True, O king, look, he answered, I see four men walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth one is like the Son of God. Now look, there's a big debate whether this is Jesus in there or an angel in there. I'm looking at this as it's Jesus. That's who I'm looking at. He's the one that saves me. He's the one that unbinds me. He's the one whom the Son has set free is free indeed. So I'm picturing this as Jesus Christ freeing these guys unbound. God still does miracles today. Thrown bound into the fiery furnace and then unshackled by the master who's in the fire with them. Do you really want to see a miracle? Okay, we're always talking about this. I want to see a miracle. Well, be careful what you ask for, because if you want to see a miracle, you have to be in miracle country. <laughs> that means some mess has got to be going on in your life. Miracles do happen. Remember, miracles come in the trials, and you must be in miracle country to have them happen. Look at Paul was caught up into the third heaven and saw heaven. That's a huge miracle. Some people believe that he was, at the time of his stoning, and, and he actually died and went up to the third heaven. You've got to go through some sort of misery to have something. And he got a thorn in the flesh and that whole thing. Jonah, he had a miracle, didn't he? Swall thrown an overboard, swallowed by a fish, and then puked up on the shore. And he's alive. I mean, that's a miracle. You've got to be a miracle country to get a miracle, don't you? Yes, you do. 
Yes, you do. And then Peter, he's a great one. In Acts chapter 12, Herod has just killed Stephen. Just martyred Stephen. He's on his high horse. He says, oh, I got Stephen. I'm going to get Peter now. He throws Peter in prison. Peter, Peter is awaiting execution. And Peter is sleeping like a log. And the angel has to elbow him, kick him, shove him around, roll him over. Peter, 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 get up. I mean, this guy, is, is, he has no tension whatsoever. You talk about someone not being consumed by his circumstances? That's Peter. Let's get out of here. He's in miracle country. They walk right out of the prison. That's a miracle. You have to be a miracle country. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were a miracle country. And you know what you want in, in any situation is the presence and the protection of God, one like the Son of God. And there's just a little picture here. It's not a very good picture, but you get, you get the, the meaning of this. These unbound, 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 and the unbinder, the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're in this awful situation. But yet, when you are with Jesus, you are free. You are free. You are free. Our Savior is with us here. He is with us through all of this stuff called life. And we are set free. It's up to us to walk in who we are. We do not have to walk in anxiety. We do not have to walk in worry. Just take the picture of Jesus being right around you and grasping onto you and going through it with you. It's never said it's going to be easy. But the Master is with us. He is with us. The bottom line is this. God is getting Nebuchadnezzar's attention and our attention. And let me say this. Nothing, 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 absolutely nothing is impossible with God. Think about this. Only a remnant of Jews resisted, but only a remnant received the protection and the presence of God. Think about it. It's, it's, a, it's a remnant that was saved. And you know what? I kind of look at this remnant as being saved, as being a picture of the tribulation period, when a remnant of Jewish believers, or Jewish people will be saved. They'll become believers eventually. In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8 and 9, which I don't have time to read, it says that two-thirds will die because of the Antichrist. One-third will be saved. They'll be saved. We think they're going to go to Petra in Jordan. Okay, they're going to be saved. They're going to make their escape. The abomination of desolation, another teaching for another time. That's their cue. They're going to escape. In Revelation chapter 12, we see this picture of Satan fighting with Michael and his archangels. And Satan being overcome by Michael and his archangels and being kicked out of heaven. And he comes to earth with great fury and he turns on the Jewish people. And he chases them as a flood. The ones that are escaping, he's chasing them. And his goal is to kill them. But the earth separates and swallows up the army. And then Satan being frustrated, the Antichrist being frustrated, turns his attention on those who did not flee. The remaining Jews and the remaining tribulation believers. And he's going to exert all kinds of brutality on that group that is left. That is the remnant. But I want you to also think about something else. Did you ever wonder about Daniel's conspicuous absence? Where was Daniel? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are there. Where is Daniel? Could Daniel be a picture of the raptured church? 
where he is not there. Now, this is just a Rickism. This isn't anything that is official, okay? But it's just a thought. I don't know where he was. He could have been on a mission someplace. But, hey, he is not there. He's conspicuously absent. Could it be? Remember, the miracle is God's presence in the fiery trials. In verse 25, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and the, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. God is with you in the fire. Hebrews chapter 11 is the faith chapter, folks. And remember, 30 through 35, there's all kinds of great results. These guys had faith, and they had tremendous results. I mean, they, they worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, escaped the sword, did all kinds of great things. And when, that, when those types of things happen, what do we say? We say, yay, God! Go, God! Way to be God! But then verses 36 through 38, we see this other group, trials of mocking, scourging, chains, imprisonment, stone, sawed in two, that's not so hot, slain with the sword, destitute, tormented, but yet it says this in verse 39, they had a good testimony through faith. And in that group, we can also say, yay, God, because you did it, God. Remember, the essence of faith is this. It's the willingness to serve God without a guarantee. Without a guarantee. Both outcomes are good because both glorify God. The bottom line is this. The Lord either saves us out of the trial or out of the trouble, or he is with us through the trouble. Both are miracles. Both are, yea, God, thank you, God. Verse 26 through 30, God will get your attention. Now, why is he going to do this? So that you come to know the true God. He'll do whatever. He, he is working with people to get their attention to know the true God. Verse 26 through 30, the Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and king's counselors gathered together and saw these men on whose body there had been no fire. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected in the smell of fire was not on them. Look at all these uppity ups within that kingdom witness this thing straight on. This wasn't hearsay. They are right there witnessing it. Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Now, is Nebuchadnezzar a little reflexic? <laughs> I mean, uh, killed, they'll get killed, their houses torn. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Why does he do this? To know the true God. The goal for Nebuchadnezzar and the goal for us is that you know the true God. It's the, reason, it's the reason that you have life. The reason you were born is to come to know the true God. God uses extreme measures many times to reveal himself. In this case, he, he has dreams. Then he has an image in the dream. And then he makes a decree later on about, about the golden image. Then because he makes a golden image that everybody should bow. The three lads won't bow. A fiery furnace. 
One like the Son of God in the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar, God is getting your attention. Three lads come out of the furnace unbound and free. In verse 27, there's no evidence the fire touched them. Quite a dramatic way to show Nebuchadnezzar and show us the power of the living God in our lives. God will get your attention that the world may know the true God. The world may know through you the true God. The changed life in you, they will know the true God. This miracle is impossible, the world says. It's a fabrication. Oh, no. For in humans, it's impossible. For God, nothing is impossible. Remember, God specializes in the impossible. God specializes in the impossible. When facing the impossible, remember Jeremiah 32:26. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too difficult for me? And the answer to that question is, no. Nothing is too difficult for God. Nothing is impossible with God. Never give up. Never give up. You have someone that you need a miracle in your life, just keep praying until it comes to fruition. Or God frees you up to let it go. There's times when God says, okay, this is what's going to happen. But we have, we have promises from God and just stay at it, stay at it, stay at it. Nebuchadnezzar is just blown away by what's going on here. In verse 29, when God gets your attention, we realize like Nebuchadnezzar, there is no other God who can deliver like this. And there is not. The gods of Nebuchadnezzar's culture could not do anything. They could not compare with the creator God, the real God. And again, these three lads are promoted again and made to prosper. And never forget this principle. We've gone over it many, many times. Obedience precedes blessings. Obedience precedes blessings. In conclusion, God will get your attention. Remember, God is always at work in your life. Always at work in your life. Everything that happens, he's orchestrating, pulling you closer to him, revealing himself. God has spent considerable time and effort in Nebuchadnezzar, proving beyond any doubt that he is the true God. And please know this, God does this for everyone today. To know, to confirm in your spirit, look, you're being inundated every day that this thing isn't true. That there's all kinds of false things coming into your mind every day, this isn't true. And you go back to the Word of God and say, yes, it is true. This is the Word of God. I can trust it. We have learned that we cannot, we must not bow to the idols or the gods of this age. There is one God and he alone is to be worshipped. Make no mistake, our world doesn't like that. At least in this country. Now look, at we have this thing called coexist on our bumper stickers. You try putting that on, on your bumper sticker in Turkey or Iraq or Indonesia. It's coexist. You can't even have a Bible in Saudi Arabia. There's no coexist there. It's only here where we have freedom. We have freedom. Tony Garland says this. The prevalent idea about this coexist is this. I'm okay, you're okay, let's all just get along. We all are serving the same God. Just choose your route to God. Oh, no, that is not true. There is one God and one way to God. There's one mediator between man and God, not, not a multitude, one mediator. That's Christ Jesus. That is it, one. Warren Wiersbe says this, he observes, 
As we move toward the end of the age, the furnace of opposition will be heated seven times hotter, and the pressure to conform will become stronger and stronger. Do you feel it? You hear it. You feel it in your being. It will take a great deal of grace, prayer, courage, and faith for God's people to stand tall for Christ while others are bowing the knee to the gods of this world, and they are bowing all around us. There's a guy just recently, I forget his name, but he has just come out and he wrote a book on purity as a pastor. And he wrote a book on purity. And he's come out and he's divorced his wife of 20 years. He's renounced his faith, has, has said that he, 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 he regrets writing that book. He embraces the LBGTQRSTUV movement, and he, and, which is we are to love people, but we cannot. We cannot bow to that idol. We cannot be forced into that. We want to love them and show them the truth and introduce them to the true God. But we cannot. The culture doesn't understand this. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could not bow, we cannot bow. We tell them the truth. And the greatest love that we can show anybody is to tell them the truth. That this is going to cause you eternity separation from our God. It, the word is full of, the, of, of truth. It will take a great deal of grace and prayer and courage and faith for people to stand tall for Christ while others bowing the knee to the gods of this world. The book of Daniel is a great source of encouragement because it reminds us that God cares for his people and honors them when they are truly true to him. God will get your attention. God is always at work around you revealing himself. Don't bow to the culture. The whole thing in this culture is being moved away from the true God. The church in America is being moved away from the true God. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. You don't think this guy is impacting people, saying, I'm now an atheist. I don't believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't believe in anything. I just, who's, who's God in his life? Him. He's made himself God. I can just do my thing, do whatever I want. Oh, no, there is a God in heaven that rules, that reigns. That is the truth. Like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, join God where he is at working and prepare for the ride of your life and get ready. Here it goes. Yay, this is what we want in Christianity. This is what we don't want in Christianity. Gloom, despair is hanging it on me. No, <laughs> Look, I came that may have life and have it abundantly, have it to the, have it to the full. Jesus said in, in, in John 15, uh, these words I have spoken, that my joy may be, remain in you and that your joy may be full. Now, when you're all out for Christ and people say, oh, you're going to have, I've had people say that I know that I'm really concerned about my child because they're getting so turned on to Jesus that they might want to go to the mission field. Oh, no. And I don't want them to go to the mission field. What's going to happen to my grandkids? And what's going to happen to my children? And if that happened to me, I'd be jumping up and down saying, yes, yes, our joy may be full. You know where your joy is the fullest? When you are in the center of where God wants you. That is where your joy is the fullest. And it's the fullest. And look, we have one life. Let's live it joyfully. 
connected to our God. There's going to be a lot of things that come at us, folks. A lot of things that, are, that drag us down in this world. Now, we've got to make a choice. Am I going to walk with Jesus through this? Am I going to take his hand? And he takes me through this, and I'm coming out through this with joy, or am I going to just be a defeated, lip-on-the-ground person with my joy just splattered all over the concrete? No! I want this picture in my life. Now, I have to work at this, because I am not by nature a positive person. Most of you guys know this. And I'm working on being more positive. I'm working on this thing. Hopefully you are too. No matter what happens, realize that you are so special to God. To get your attention, you know what he did? He sent his only begotten son to this earth to die for you. That's how much God loves us. You talk about getting somebody's attention, that's what Jesus did for us. That you may know the true God and the miracle of the resurrection. And you know the resurrection does one thing? It proves it's all true. It's all true. We have a living Savior. Mohammed's dead. Buddha's dead. Our God is alive. Our God is alive. Think about this, folks. Has God gotten your attention? And I mean all of your attention. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. And Lord, it's wonderful to be in the word of God. It's wonderful to hear your truth. It's wonderful to have your spirit bear witness to our spirit truth. And Lord, we know that we're living in a foreign land. We know that we are, in essence, in enemy territory. We're like recon behind enemy lines. But we know that you are with us through this whole journey and that you have given us the strength to be overcomers, not to be victims, but to be victors. And Lord, help us to walk in the truth of who we really are. We are your children, saved for a purpose, saved to be in the center of your will, saved to serve you wherever you place us. We are your people. Do with us as you will. And may we be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit and the joy that the Spirit-filled life brings. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.